Already here. Let's <laughs> let knows this one. Okay, and the priority is given to those who weren't in the previous inquiry. <laughs> it's not more like a monk every day, Seth. <laughs> nice to see. Good to see you. Recorded or on? Recorded, fine. All right. <laughs> you look more like an Indian waller. I, uh, <laughs> I'm a cross-dresser, actually. <laughs> Anyway, carry on with your life. Some will believe me, I don't know. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've been here on retreat for three months now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Early on in the retreat period, and sometime in February, a question arose in my mind. Yeah. And I thought, there's really only one person I can ask this question of. And I thought immediately afterwards, but since the Buddha's dead... Perhaps I can ask Christopher. So here goes. Um, it, it involves the nature of the awakened mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems the Buddha, in those 11,000 discourses, spent a lot of time describing um, the unawakened mind, uh, the nature of samsara. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to describing the nature of awakened mind, there isn't a lot there. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mostly in negating terms. Uh, the unborn, the deathless, the unbound. Um, frankly, I think we can do a little better. Mm. So I'd like to look at um, characteristics of the awakened mind and uh, the behavior or movement that comes from the awakened mind. Yeah. Um, as two areas. There are the three basic characteristics for all conditioned reality. I wonder if we could look one at a time and see how they apply to um, unconditioned okay. reality. Um, Lovely. The first two are easy, so I'm going to answer those, and I'll leave the third one to you. If that's okay. Everything's okay. Carry on. Okay. Um, yeah. Hi. Um, in permanence, uh, Anicca um, seems. It seems quite clear that. All description of the awakened mind is mm. that it's uh, unconditioned, so it doesn't change. So it wouldn't be uh, characteristic of impermanence. Any any disagreement there? Yes. Carry on. <laughs> not the disagreement, but uh, slight shift in emphasis here. Please. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I think the exploration is very, very important. Could I give a little summary? Because some people are quite new to the language and so on to... There. The, uh, uh, as has been pointed out, there are three very important characteristics which human beings truly need to be aware of. And uh, the first is of change. And that giving real care and attention to change, as we do in our practice, really contributes to a lot of uh, letting go. Because what we hold on to, which is changing, will cause difficulty, problems, suffering, etc. So this characteristic existence, therefore not the ultimate reality of it, it's a characteristic of existence, is seeing change impermanence, things arising and passing in the conditioned nature of things, as Seth was just pointing out there. And so it's a feature of the mind, change, and it's a feature of existence, that which we perceive, that which is perceiving, that's mind and and, uh, body, the uh, human being, and that which is perceived is all subject to these characteristics, as Seth is just uh, there. Let's keep awakening and the mind slightly separate, and then we'll carry on. Rather than the awakened mind never changes, it's awakening of the nature of things. So anyway, carry on. I don't understand. Oh. Um, the... Um, Yes, sorry, go on. What if I were to call it the unobstructed mind? Oh, yeah, okay. Is that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, we'll keep with that language. The unobstructed mind, um, being unborn, undying, unbound, Mm -hmm. is not of the characteristic of a Nietzsche. Yeah. Good. Secondly, being unchanging, slightly qualified, um, 
and there being no clinging, no grasping, no constriction, there would be no dukkha, the second characteristic. There would be no suffering, there would be no um, unreliability or unsatisfactoriness yeah. to the unobstructed mind. Yeah. Yeah. Any qualification yeah, on that uh, one? Um, yes. they're, they're, they're very small. Okay. Thirdly, characteristic of conditioned reality is that because it changes, because it is uncontrollable, um, we cannot find any I, any abiding self. It is uh, uncontrollable. It is, it is outside of any um, self either within or greater power without. Yeah. That is, can be clearly seen true of conditioned reality. Yeah. Does that apply to the unobstructed mind? Um, can I uh, uh, expand and qualify a little bit? This really is the very heart of it. Whether I say yes or no, you will. So I'll, <laughs> I'll say yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just want to... I'm very much aware of people who are new to the Dharma as well as very seasoned uh, uh, meditators in here. Um, uh, teachings pointing out it's very, very important to uh, be aware of these three characteristics of existence. These are the actual words of the Buddha carried through for the last two and a half thousand years, as Seth is pointing out. The first one is impermanence. Due to this change, which we can't fix, we can't make things permanent, etc., what we hold on to, as was said, uh, obstructs, and with that comes the difficulties, the problems, the fears, the agitations, either things changing which we don't want to change, or things not changing when we want them to change. And we get caught up in this loop. Things changing, we don't want them to change, or things not changing when we want them to change. And getting caught up in this world of uh, clinging to all of this, this generates and reveals to us the dissatisfaction. And the dissatisfaction you have in life is a, has a connection with time, you can't separate time from it, and you can't separate changes from it. And all this is regarded, as Seth uh, was explaining there, as being extraordinarily impersonal, what the Buddhists call not-self, what you and I might call impersonal. We can't just say, I'll have no suffering, can't say, I'll have no changes in my life, can't say, I'll have no dukkha, the I can't, can say it, <laughs> think life is going to take any notice. Why? Because it's an impersonal process which is going on, yet it, a key feature in all of this is a sense feeling of I and me wrapped up in it all. So here's this world of the mind as was being pointed out, and in this world of the mind and its relationship to itself and the world that we live in, we keep facing again and again in, in impermanence, change, things coming and going, keep facing unsatisfactoriness to varying degrees, and we keep facing that the self cannot control things, as Seth was pointing out, the condition arising, determines how events are, are flowing along. And that world is the three characteristics that helps us to see, as was pointed out by you, I said, that helps us to see the relative nature of things as clearly as we possibly can, the conditioned world as clearly as we possibly can. That is important for freeing up the mind. Less holding, less grasping, less clinging, less possessiveness. Then... Even if we just saw those three characteristics very well and clearly, an important and essential feature of practice, but what we're actually exploring here is full awakening. There seems to be still an unanswered question, which is uh, anatta, no self, not self. applies to conditioned reality, yeah. does it also apply to the unobstructed mind, to yes. unconditioned yes. reality? Yes. And it is one of, from uh, exploration there, uh, through the seeing and through the language, the teachings and, uh, and the Buddha specifically here has used both, in both ways. Both ways meaning, in practice, therefore relative mind, uh, sometimes people will say, oh, I don't feel so 
much of my ego or self is going on. I'm just seeing body as body, feelings as feelings, thoughts as thoughts, and it doesn't seem to be like it's all me and mine. It's just body is arising, thoughts are arising, feelings are arising, coming and going. The self is not so involved in it. Just awareness of that's practice from a not-self view. But it's also used anatta, the not-self word, um, as one of many synonyms of awakening. Full, complete awakening he's spoken of as not-self as well. So he's actually take both. Both are perfectly valid. Ultimate use and relative use. Yeah. This to me seems very interesting that there is something that applies to both. Um, it's one of the few things uh-huh. times that it is very rare perhaps a, a wormhole from one to the other a wormhole <laughs> my, my understanding is that all three any of the three seen extremely clearly yeah. can open one to um, the unobstructed mind Absolutely. and yet the greed and hatred which are the conditioned reactions to things changing and the yeah. suffering, yeah. are in fact based on the delusion of self to begin with. Yeah. So yeah. that the delusion of not seeing not-self is in fact the basis of all of it. Yeah. So where the, the poisons of the mind, to use the kind of uh, text language, that means the greed, the hate, it is strong, sometimes negativity, aggression, aversion, and the delusion, confusion, not seeing clearly there, that where there are those, where that stuff, shall we say, is going on in the mind, yes, the self will be there, the self will be taken as real, as substantial, it really seems to involve me, 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 I, I, I. So the self depends for its existence, it's fed by the greed, the conceit, the selfishness, and the forms of clinging or whatever. But it also, of course, can be fed as well by the wholesome things, because the self can identify with being a good person, self can identify with being kind or being generous. So with the unsatisfied, the unhealthy, unwholesome it identifies, but equally the self can go with the uh, healthy and the wholesome as well. As well. More than that, so, as you say, wormhole, it's rather interesting way. But the uh, seeing things more impersonally as not self can free us up to a, some sense of the unobstructed. I use the term wormhole because it, it always seemed... Um, there does seem something quite profound about the fact that there's something that applies to both. Yes. And when we try in a relative reality, in a mundane reality, in a conditioned reality, to move towards an awakened and unconditioned reality, there seems to need to be some point of connection yeah. if the two are going to meet. Um, yeah. Even if the conditioned reality can't actually know the unconditioned, yeah. they have to at least touch. Yeah. Right. Very good. Good, good point. And, and this is the... Uh, uh, exp- uh, exploration that goes on and in that uh, ex- exploration and some of the people in the hall will uh, know of this well at times the awareness is very steady and in that awareness what is being revealed to the awareness such as change such as um, unsatisfactoriness the dukkha that gross and subtle level that Shada referred to last night and seeing things in just as conditioned nature unfolding, therefore in that not-self way. Not so much me, me, I, I, but just unfolding process going on. That awareness can be very steady and very clear, especially with that resource of not-self that you just referred to, in that we maybe don't have to give all the attention, all of the time, to seeing change, nor to attending to unsatisfactoriness, nor to watching the I, me and the Maya rising and passing there. So perhaps the awareness element, the steadiness of that, could be another kind of doorway to a receptivity to something other which we call awakening. What's your response? 
Um, I'm not sure if I completely followed it. My, um, were you suggesting using awareness as the object? Um, using awareness more here, more as um, the subject. So, in other words, the subject called awareness keeps revealing the object. The object's called change. The object's called sometimes unsatisfactoriness, sometimes satisfactoriness, because mm-hmm. it's changing. And the awareness which is revealing, sometimes in its very much the I and the my arising as an object, what it's involved in, and sometimes it's just arising and passing. It doesn't seem to be much of I and my in it. Just life unfolding itself uh, there. And that awareness sheds light on those objects there. So we're cutting through a lot of the projections about them, the storylines about them, etc. Could we, if we don't shed all the light on awareness, could it be that awareness can reveal something else which is not, as it were, object? Since all objects are subject to anicca, dukkha, anatta. And it means impermanence, unsatisfactoriness. It's all objects are never completely fulfilling. There's something unsatisfactory about Could awareness play a key feature? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, so, what I understand you suggesting is that when one sees quite deeply those three characteristics, one can actually see beneath them and see an inherent quality to existence, which beneath uh, is more fundamental, is not, in fact, of those three characteristics. All right. okay. um, but my understanding, and this seems to also depend on which side of the Burmese Thai border you you practice on, um, (laughs) is whether awareness actually makes that leap with you or not. Ah, right, right. right. Well, um, hopefully we won't get into the duality of Burmese and Thai Buddhism (laughs) since we're trying to pre-awaken that. I I agree. Cult in the tradition, lots of exploration and discussion uh, about, about this. In... As you, to refer to, to go back a few steps here, as you point out in the in the teachings sutras, the, the, the teachings of the Buddha, eleven thousand sutras, they're all exploring this issue. Nothing else. He just explores this. Why do you think, as you pointed out, and uh, very accurately, the Buddha has in the in the teachings, and we have to see from our experience. So it's not a theory. Why so much reference to the relative and, and all the characteristics that make up existence? Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, moving, doing, working, living, being, meditating. All characteristics of existence, all subject to change. Why so much there? So little use of a language of characteristics of complete unexcelled awakening. Uh, two responses. One is, um, as as the Taoists would say, the the Tao which can be named is not the true Tao. Right. That uh, we're using language which is relative, which is conditioned. Yeah. Right. So any description, d- d- despite what I said to begin, which was that we could do better, um, <laughs> it's not going to do it justice. The second, secondly, yeah. secondly, and more importantly, and I think what your previous question about using awareness to get there um, was pointing to the same thing. This is what we're actually experiencing. This is what we've been conditioned to experience. This is all we see um, until there's a fundamental shift is the seeing, the hearing, the impermanence. The, um, so these are the objects we have to work with. So work with them. Um, That's true. Would, however, one could say, my God, when am I ever going to stop working with them? One could even at a very refined, subtle level, free of the projections, free of all the stuff we lay onto existence, just seeing it in its bare attention to the bare content, the bare characteristics, just that stripped of all investment in it, that could be viewed as a rather long-term process, and the person could ask, who's deeply committed to awakening, my goodness, am I, is my... Practice is my dharma, spiritual life, just concerned with seeing characteristics clearly. 
just attending to that clearly. When, when is it that we can trust and say, maybe I don't need to give so much attention, nor give awareness to that? But what point would we say? Never mind about the characteristics. It's usually the point that people start doing Tibetan practice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a very nice advertisement for Tibetan practices, but um, um, I'm not sure if the track record of Complete Awakening is any more or less um, with our uh, Tibetan brothers and sisters than it is in our own community. So so there's the characteristics arising uh, there. We're not so interested in them. They're still arising, still going on. We are interested in liberation. We are interested in unobstructedness. And I think that's more significant than saying and just giving it to the mind. Just giving what to the mind? See, you said earlier on, which uh, teachings in precision the Buddha wouldn't say. He wouldn't say the awakened mind. You won't find it in the text. He speaks of awakening. Not awakened mind. And if there is awakening, it's awakening all directions. And if it's if we said awakened mind, which is every ordinary people's way of viewing, it would give the mind selfness. It would give it substance. So the Buddha's not actually not teaching the awakened mind. Sorry. <laughs> Understand? Right. right. Okay. What, 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 what's the response? If we focus on anything, boom, 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 we give it selfness. We give, we give the mind Correct. Selfness. Right. We give it specialness, substance. If all we're seeing most of the time are the points, are the objects. Yeah. And yet we know it's, it's the same thing in science when you break it down yeah. small enough you find there's only energy there's only there isn't any matter yes. but if all you can see is the matter you keep looking at the matter closer and closer and closer or clearer and clearer you focus the mirror of mindfulness until it on its own illuminates that there is nothing there to try to do it automatically defeats the purpose true. but the big distinguishing feature with the Dharma is unlike science um which doesn't have a, too much of a track record of enlightenment anyway. But in science has, and it still has, and it can't get out of it, the, the wish to break things down there. And in the tradition, we have this uh, concept, kalapa, K-A-L-A-P-A, which literally means subatomic particle. You know, when everything's like the science, when everything is broken down, it's breaking down, tiniest Rather uh, interesting that uh, the Buddha has never, in 11,000 sutras, talks, discourses, ever made reference to kalapas. In other words, meditation to break things down to subatomic particles, he's had never had any interest in. It, the, the word is a, um, an Abhidharma word. It's not found in 11,000 sutras. Uh, there. So I don't think we have to put a great deal of emphasis in, in our meditation to break everything down to mm. particles or little pockets of energy, uh, etc. Mm. People can and do and can have a lot of power of samadhi, of concentration to be able to break it all down there. But I'm not sure mm. that it's enlightening. I think it's just power of mind. So what I hear you perhaps leading to is uh, the element of faith, the element of mystery, that you no, look... No, no, not yet. No, no. A step a little too far. I mean, it does take faith, and there is a great deal of uh, uh, mystery, but I, I... So is there a question? Yes. The <laughs> um, um, language of mystery, this is a rather lovely word in mysticism and spiritual practice and meditation, and is to be uh, res- respected. But I think we could go through the mystery as well, you see. In, 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 
in uh, another way. So to come back just a little thread and theme, make it a little bit more personal at this moment. In um, your own awarenesses and your own meditations and practices, in terms of um, the, the relative world, does it feel like at the present time it has much... At the present time, three months of retreat, just come back from Burma, Thailand, India, etc., etc., does the relative world feel like it has much grip on you? I.e., much concern about change, much any suffering to go along with it, any obsessing about I, me, and my. This is the world. Is there much in your experience at present? Not a lot. Good. So, sometimes things arise, and remember the teachings have made it extremely clear that we're not trying to make ourselves perfect in the face of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, etc. Not a prerequisite uh, there. So, one could, you could say, to put it another way, that there's not a lot, therefore there isn't too much obstruction at the present time. How's your appreciation for the unobstructedness of things? Not of you. Throw yourself in with everything else here. How is your appreciation of the unobstructedness of things? Things meaning mind, body and the world that we live in. Of the things that are unobstructed, there is no appreciation. Of the unobstructedness, there's a lot of appreciation. Good. So, awakening generates uh, that something from uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, heartfulness and uh, genuine uh, sense of uh, unobstructedness, which generates a genuine sense of freedom. Yet, at times, can be obstructed. Mm-hmm. We've made that perfectly clear and uh, and and uh, allow um, allowable. In the present time, in terms of your own uh, uh, exploration into these areas, does, does is the sense or feeling in any way of awakening or liberation or unobstructed nature or whatever, does it seem near or far? Close at hand or does it feel like I've uh, got to go a lot deeper yet or I've got to go a lot further yet or I've got... Uh, a lot of work to do on the path. What's the sense in yourself? Near, near or far? We're starting to get into territory. I'm not sure how appropriate it is to, to uh, talk about. Um, Don't let it be an obstruction. Only minds are listening. It's nothing to do. <laughs> it's up to you. Always free to say, thank you, Christopher. <laughs> and always, free to, always free to speak. We can continue... One-to-one. There's certainly still movement, um, striving and aspiration come in, which at times make it feel quite close, and at times then usually the striving and aspiration then push it further away. Uh, I would have thought in reverse, wouldn't it? Doesn't it sometimes, we're striving towards, so it tends to create a bit of a gap which we want to bridge, and non-striving can help to bring things that... Closer. Yeah, Right. It's when they feel close that you reach for it. All right. You reach um, for it. I reach for it. Excuse me. Um, right. So, But then as soon as you reach it, it moves further away. All right. Okay. So there's still enough, this thing here, subtlety, there's enough movement of the mind of a movement towards. Hmm. Or a movement away complacency. Yeah. Or a movement away uh, from. Just enough movement uh, going on and the movement makes the gap. I'm going to have to need a lot of listening. Some of you have already lost the, tra- lost the trail. Don't worry, enjoy. Watch your breath. <laughs> Go on. You can call thank you out as well. <laughs> <laughs> on their behalf. <laughs> um, I won't. <laughs> Too important. Um, so sometimes, let me repeat, that sometimes yes. we feel quite steady. In our steadiness, in our meditation, we looked at the characteristics, and we say, perhaps, freedom, the unobstructedness is actually much more immediate. There's an interest in that, and the interest creates a movement towards. Mm. How do I find this unobstructed? 
How close is it? But that then starts to make a gap, mm. and then the self comes in, mm. wanting to bridge the gap mm. there. Or, as you say, the energy gets lowered, and then there's a certain complacency, and then that makes another kind of uh, gap. So, what's going to do? Keep the mind steady, nowhere to go, mm. nothing to do. I'm, I'm reminded of... Uh the deva who asked the Buddha, how did you cross to the other shore? Mm. And he says, um, by neither standing still or rushing forward, Exactly. I crossed to the other shore. More, more subtly than that. Neither by standing still, nor, nor by moving, mm. did I cross the other How about that? That puts you on that <laughs> 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 We pass on our koan to end them all. Oh. Neither by standing still did I re- realize full unexcelled enlightenment, nor moving towards. Oh, answer it. What do you make of it? Uh. By standing still did I realize unexcelled enlightenment, nor by moving towards it. There's an eye. Yeah, yeah, eye is going to stand still and eye is going to move forward. Mm-hmm. Where the mind goes, the old eye is dragged along with it. There's a river too. Eh? There's a river too. And a, the yeah, the path needs to disappear as well. Entertainment for the mind. So, neither by standing nor by going towards. Well, in addition to there being an eye in both standing still and moving, and in addition to there being a path in both standing still and moving, there is a relativity yep. of, of, of yep. there being another side, there being a place of being, there yep. being a, a space to move. Yep. And if we stand still or sit still or whatever, we can get stuck. And if we keep moving, we keep carrying the idea we've got somewhere to go. Unobstructed, lovely word you used. Unobstructed nature. Even without even pinpointing it to having it for the mind. Awakening, awakens all. Thank you. Enlightening as always to speak with you.
questions much more mundane. And uh, it's also a question I've already asked you a year ago. So I'm back here asking it again. Um, I work in the field of climate change. And climate I change. I don't mm. know how much you know about climate change. The British press does a much better job covering it than the US press does. Um, I feel very strongly that it's the greatest challenge humanity has mm. ever faced. Mm. And that is because it aggravates all the existing problems. Mm. It's going to widen the gap between the half and the half-nots. Mm -hmm. It's going to you know, severe veteran winds are going to increase. We already see that, mm. you know, in Orissa, in, in South Carolina, in Venezuela. In yeah. I could just go yeah, on just for the half year, last year. year. Yeah, There's going to be an increase in um, tropical diseases. Uh, whole nations will disappear because mm. the sea levels will rise. Something Britain worried about, I know. Mm -hmm. So, um, here I am working on this extremely challenging, almost apocalyptical mm -hmm. topic. And I very often don't really know how to deal with it um, emotionally. Mm -hmm. I think people who work in the field, people I work with, tend to not think about that so much because it's too overwhelming. Mm. The implications of it are just too vast. Mm. Um, you know, there's many problems in the world, but we've never actually managed to change an environmental system, you know, geophysical system on a global level. So mm. um, my question is twofold. Um, you know, how how is one to deal with such a big issue? And the related question is, how is one to deal with the vastness of what needs to be done and with you know, the, the little you can do as, mm -hmm. a, as yes. an individual? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, dare I ask, what did I say last time? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not sure I could do it justice. You, you said that you know there's always a gap between what needs to be done and what one can do, mm. and that one needs to be very vigilant of this gap. Mm. It, it, it's true. Did um, <laughs> did the response last year? Um, make any difference, or am I asked to assume since you're back? <laughs> it did actually make a great. Yeah, it, it made a big difference for me at the time. Um, it has worn off; it needs to be refreshed. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 Um, in any situation where one is working towards uh, change, um, it's, much of it is just uh, um, sowing of seeds. And, and one does as much as one can yeah, uh, in, in, in that. The only freedom from it as a problem is liberation. To take the problem out of it in terms of problem meaning, um, feeling overwhelmed, stressed, worried, afraid, apocalyptic, etc., etc. The only true release from it in, uh, in, in that way is, is liberation, is complete awakening, to see through this relative world with all of its uh, storms that go on um, in the inner climate and in the outer climate. That's the only true release from, from it. That doesn't mean to say in any way that it would slow down your commitment. It doesn't mean to say in any way you would 
stop or you would or you would withdraw, but it would give you uh, access to that unobstructedness that uh, we're just hearing about, and energy in the life can flow for it without making it a problem for self. Mm. Your inner climate's got to be as clear as it can if you're going to attend throughout your existence to the global climate. Mm. You, you, one's got to be clear, clear, clear to deal with uh, all that information that will coming is coming to you and all the ways that you need to be informed but it needs to be informed, you need to be informed in a way which has no stickiness, clinging around it. Otherwise you make a problem, you're in a climate, you get storms in yourself, and it will take away your power to respond. So, at the present time, how long have you been engaged in, in working with this area? year and a half. year and a half. And at the present time, how, how would you describe your relationship to the information that comes to you? What, 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 is, is it putting out information? What's your primary mode of activity with it? I, I do a couple of things. I'm, I'm in, in school, so I'm doing research. Yeah. And I'm also working for an NGO that looks at how we can reduce greenhouse gases at the university. Ah, yeah. It so. needs to be strong, clear... Uh, working uh, models um, in this uh, in, the, in this regard, and the resources and universities and other facilities can be given what you're doing: research, university, uh, etc. Where's your accent? Where are you from? I'm from Switzerland, but I live in Boston. Yeah, that uh, in the uh, activities that you're engaged in, how's your inner life with regard to it all? Uh, it, it varies greatly. Sometimes, since I'm not enlightened, I'm not um, detached from it. But the image I, I use sometimes is, you know, is kind of it, the universe, you know, and how small the Earth is, and how ir- irrelevant it all is on a on a greater level. But then I, you know, when I go out into nature and and I I see, you know, what is going to change and what already. Ha- has changed, then mm. I just think, you know, this is not right. The, the earth is like, you know, it's like a young child with leukemia. It's not an old person who dies. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in um, the bush in, in Australia, and a friend of mine who knows lots about the stars. Since we were in the southern hemisphere, so we had this fabulously clear... In the bush, it was complete darkness, no lights anywhere, and this breathtaking swoop of the whole of the middle of the middle way, and right down to the, what they call the Southern Cross. That's just extraordinary. And, and, and then you get those points of information, like in our galaxy, there's a billion stars, and then there are a billion galaxies. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes it just helps inwardly to give a little bit of s- space and you know, in the, kind of the great picture of things, and yet correspondingly not to use it to escape into, so that one really does feel a, a, the love for the earth and the love for the nature and the love for the sentient creatures and land, water and air, and all that, all that goes along with this extraordinary thing of existence and it needs people and just as you, know, you primarily work uh, outwardly to inform, to bring change uh, about and others of us work outwardly uh, and, and work uh, inwardly and that one has to keep very steadfastly focused with, with it mm-hmm. and I believe that system of living that we live under, my essential view is that it's rotten. It's rotten. And I hope that in my lifetime we'll see the, the collapse of it. 
and, and all that holds people into this vulgarity of the abuse of the environment and people and, and to bring about and try to bring about change where wisdom and compassion are the primary focuses of life and not all this egotism and selfishness. There's something to bring about change and that, uh, for that change of the inner, hopefully to bring a, a more intimate connection with the outer and the outer must have a more intimate connection with the inner. And that's a commitment and plenty of people in this hall and elsewhere obviously have that uh, similar kind of uh, commitment. So appreciate times, periods, moments of uh, expansiveness if they get the stars and find ways and means to have contact with like-minded people, use the resources of uh, retreats, um, have a long-term uh, vision. We may or may not see anything in our lifetime. Who knows? And play with it. So anything I said today, or is it going to be, you're going to be back in a year's time and you're going to say, <laughs> I was here the last two years. <laughs> I can't answer that. Can't, no, it's true. You can't. <laughs> neither, neither can I. <laughs> well, thank you very much. All right, so before you disappear, how's the uh, inner climate? How's, how's, the, how's, how's the inner life sitting on the meditation cushion, walking up and down during the days? Is it, is it running a lot to the outer state of the world and forgetting the inner world? Can you repeat that? What Sometimes we have yeah. an interest outwardly. Yeah. So the mind keeps running to the outer world, you know, like some of that information you relate to all of us. The inner world matters uh, a great deal, mm. because the inner has got to change as well. Is your mind running very much to the outer world, or is it able to stay relatively with the inner, to attend wisely to <clears throat> what's arising, the waves that run through you? <laughs> Floods of thinking that take place, the storms, and uh, all those things. You've got remember, you've got North Carolina inside you. And um, it varies greatly. I, I did design a great web page yesterday during one of the meditations. You designed a great. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you designed a great web page. Right. So, but uh, there are moments where I'm very clear, and there are moments when my mind right. just does its thing. Okay. So sometimes, good, in, you know, insights and in the stillness and clarity come from many uh, people in creative ideas, in new inventions, in new expressions, etc. And sometimes, briefly, brief, briefly, please, just quick note on a piece of paper, so you can put it uh, put it aside. It's lovely that. Uh, fresh initiatives come and it's all part of the uh, meditation process out of stillness things can come uh, clear but it's a pity then if you spend one day to the next and forget that we all belong to uh, Indra's net I mean, we all belong to the web of life and um, web pages are <laughs> little entertainment when there's nothing on the TV. So it's the web of life we've got to keep connected with. And those resources uh, like that can be a help or they can be a hindrance. We want to connect with the web of life and use the web pages and sites just as a little minimal support. Otherwise all the activists are going to get lost in cyberspace. <laughs> <laughs> Including you. <laughs>
it can be taped. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have been doing a practice for about five years now, along with the people I live with, mm. and uh, I just wanted to share it with. Mm. Yeah, please, yeah. Um, and that's it. It might make people a little squeamish at first, but uh, it's uh, I, we get a lot of our food out of the dumpster. Out of the dumpster, what's the or, dumpster? Or, uh, the garbage. I do. Yeah, mm. and. Uh, we we get probably about ninety percent of what we we eat, and uh, where do you go? I we go to health food stores and uh, and markets around where we live. Is that right? And so, what is it? They kind of just throw it in bins at the back or something. Mm-hmm. They, you know, most of the food is all, is packaged and uh, perfectly fine, okay. and. Uh, they throw it out because it's come past its sell-by date or something? Sometimes that, and sometimes uh, it's hard to tell why they, yeah. they throw things out. But I regularly find very fine French cheeses in the, in the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, you know, really delicious things. Uh, fruit seems to be perfectly ripe when it's from the dumpster. And, right? Uh, I'll, I'll tell the staff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, How long have you been doing it for? I, I've been doing it for about five years. And you, you look well. <laughs> Good for you. Nice, nice and uh, just as a testament, I've, I've never been sick from it. And uh, it's sometimes it's for a while in the beginning I was embarrassed about being seen at the dumpster, um, you know, because I'd go in my town and the ba- my banker would walk by and see me, you know, in the dumpster. <laughs> and, uh, and and then immediately go and check your account. <laughs> And uh, but then I I I just felt more and more that it was uh, something that that's really a good thing to do and very. What would happen to the food? I mean, it, it literally goes to the. Uh, yeah, they, they just discard it and um, and uh, so and it, I also think of it as being close to an alms round. I mean, yeah. what what. What could you do in this country to approach that mm. that um, simple way of getting getting food or clothing or whatever you you need? Yeah. And there's so much thrown out all the time that uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's <clears throat> just a c- couple of small thoughts that uh, uh, come to mind. Um, um, what one, one is that. I think, I think it's brilliant, by the, by the way. And uh, this waste that goes on uh, is, is just appalling. And mm-hmm. I, and I uh, hear this from friends who work in restaurants and friends who work in the supermarkets and health food stores, just how much is thrown away. And sometimes just because the box is a little bent mm-hmm. and, and the customer doesn't want to pick it up if it's got you know, this, all sorts of absurd uh, uh, reasons. And I think to make use of those... Uh, 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 resources puts out a, uh, an important statement. One thing, though, of course, is that uh, there is, um, for yourself and your friends, your community, um, a definite saving of money mm-hmm. there. And if uh, there is a saving of money, what would you do with what you save? Uh, that's a good question. Put it, you know, put it to some good use. Yeah, maybe to feed the hungry, mm-hmm. as, as, as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, a small thing, um, about, um, talking about the arms, arms around from, and, and arms, mm-hmm. about, uh, I was on a flight from Israel, this was about uh, 18 months ago, and I was just uh, sitting, just thinking um, about um, monk's life, and 
one of the uh, rules is one goes on the armchair in the morning and one just uh, takes food in, in the morning. So that from the time of the midday sun, which is 12.17, uh, one doesn't uh, eat food again till... Well, the rule is until in the new day you, you can see the lines on your there's enough light so you can and uh, and of course it's difficult to do in the west with all the ways things are unless one's extremely strict and disciplined so I just made a a small gesture Uh, I'm sorry Um, when I I was on a flight from uh, Israel and in uh, returning I was just remembering the arms round and in the uh, Buddhist monks and nuns discipline one just eats in the morning period. And after that, it's intended to be just a liquid. So, just for a, a very small uh, little discipline, hardly dare use the word discipline, um, just, just uh, decided on the flight that what I would, would do, and I thought I'd, this was to keep it up through to the millennium, of um, at the end of the day, the last time I took a bite of food, it would be 12 hours, no matter what time, before the next. Now often, half the week, one does it anyway, no problem. Um, but sometimes one's hungry late at night and wants a snack and thinks, God, if I have a bowl of cornflakes at midnight, I've got to wait till midday mm-hmm. for some breakfast or whatever. They're just very small uh, discipline. But just the, the, and then, and I just put, this peanuts, I just put uh, the price of a, a cup of tea, you know, a dollar a day, the price of a cup of tea in England, for our poor school in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, India that we have. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so there's a little saving, mm-hmm. it's a little discipline of just letting go, you know, mm-hmm. hardly anything really, it's a, just a 12 hour fast put every day. Mm-hmm. After, most of the time one's asleep, so peanuts. And there's this little saving there, I said, uh, maybe saving about a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. And then the dollar a day goes to the, to the score. So, my small suggestion is there is a saving, mm-hmm. might be useful to talk in the community, what might be a contribution from the saving yeah. mm-hmm. that one could make. Yes. And, and therefore there's a receiving one hand and a giving with the mm-hmm. other, and therefore life is inflowing and outflowing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I hope some of you will join him at the dumpster. <laughs> so where, where's your dumpster? Where do you go? Where, what's well, the place? I, I live in uh, upstate New York. Yeah. Near yes. Woodstock. Woodstock. Oh, it would be Woodstock. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So, what time of the day do you go? Um, I go. I, I have a you know a pretty set schedule when I go, and uh, I go, I go when the dumpsters are, are full. Yeah. And uh, what time is that? That's usually uh, Monday at noon, and uh, and third and Wednesday. You know, does it vary in different places, or does it? Yeah, it but the fairly? places I frequent. Yeah. Uh, mm. You know, I, I know what their patterns are, and yeah. so, uh, you know, I. Good. But but sometimes, of course, I mean, there are the marginalised people who are desperately poor, uh, and especially in, uh, in in uh, America, from what we just you know, see and mm-hmm. read, as well as in like in the streets of London, people living yeah. in cardboard boxes. Um, are there several of you d- doing it? And yeah, I, I started doing it with people who, who are very poor, mm. and, and that was their main yes. way of living. So then I would take them to the store, and they would go in the dumpster, and I'd go in the front door mm-hmm. and get my food and queue up and pay for it. And then they'd come out of the back with huge boxes full of just what I was buying, but more of it. And, and so I decided, you know, why should I, why should I, yeah, I agree. queue up and, and, I, you know, I don't like standing in line. No. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, my, my diet is much more varied now. <laughs> because I eat what I find. Right, right. Very nice. <laughs> I um, uh, hopefully it will inspire a few others. Yeah, it, it's it's a, it's really it's fun, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I know Shada's a bit hard up. She just moved to Seattle. It's, it's good. <laughs>
No, no. Good, good, good to hear. Okay, any, anything else? To, no. Yeah. Okay, Thank excellent. You. Thank you. Nice to hear. <laughs> We just have a quiet couple of minutes, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.